0: After you place your marker there, take your Bibles out and turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, that will be our first reading this morning. As Brother Greg mentioned, we are so grateful for your presence. We do have so many visitors with us, and we're very grateful that you've come our way. We would like to invite you back any chance you have to come and worship with us. I was kind of laughing last night as I was finalizing my lesson. Silas just looked at me and said, It's going to be weird to hear you speak. It's going mean, weird to hear you preach. It's like, well, why is that? Well, because Nick preached all last week, and it's just going to be weird to hear you speak. And I'm like, well, I hope this morning it's not weird. <laughs> I hope this morning that we can open our Bibles together, and we can study God's Word together, and come to a better understanding of what God would have us to be. Over the past uh, several weeks before the meeting started, we started a series of lessons looking at elders and deacons. And I said it was kind of funny that I've been preaching for almost 15 or 14 years now, and I don't have any lessons dedicated directly just for elders and deacons. It's one of those things that we often study in a Bible class setting. We study quite a bit, but as far as a lesson that I prepared, I I didn't really have any. We spent last month looking at elders. We looked at what are the responsibilities, what does an elder actually do, and then we spent several lessons looking at the qualifications of elders. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the idea of deacons. And just like elders, let's take the time and just ask ourselves, what are the duties, what are the responsibilities of a deacon? What do they do? Why are they important? What is their work? And so that's going to be our focus this morning. Lord willing, we'll wrap this series up next week looking at the qualifications of deacons. So a little bit of a preview, uh, Lord willing, next week. Just like we do with elders, I think it's important for us to just ask ourselves the question, what is a deacon? What are deacons? I had you turn here to Philippians chapter 1, because here in Philippians 1, Paul gives us the makeup or, or what a church is composed of. In Philippians 1 and verse 1, Paul says, Paul and Timothy bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons deacons along with elders and saints that is who makes up the local congregation now what's interesting about the word deacon it's a little bit harder to define than elder was and what i mean by that is when we look the scriptures and we see the word elder we see the word bishop overseer pastor we recognize that these are all referring to the same role the same office Deacon is a little bit different, and the reason because of that is when you look at the, the Greek language as is often the case, the Greeks would use one word to mean several different things. The Greek word for deacon is diakonos. Now I always like to put a little you know, disclaimer here, I am not a Greek scholar. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I do know enough. I can use an interlinear Bible. I know how to use a lexicon. So if you're here and if you are a Greek scholar, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of this word. But the way that I'm going to pronounce it, diakonos, that is the Greek word that we define as deacon. You know, we often talk about the Greeks, how they like to use different words, and we have to look at the context to understand what the word is. You know, you think about, like, A word like the word love. You know, the English language, we have the word love. Well, we often make the point that the Greeks had four words that they used to define what love is. There were differing levels of love. But we in the English language, we just have one word. You know, I often talk about the word ecclesia, the church. Well, we need to understand that ecclesia can also just mean a mob. When Paul was standing in Ephesus and it talked about a mob was gathering and a riot was starting, well, that's the same word that's used to to describe a church. Are we saying that that mob was a church, a part of God's body? Well, of course not. We have to look at the context. When you look at this Greek word diakonos, it literally means a attendant, a servant, or a waiter these are the ways that this word can be used and when you look throughout the scriptures it's usually translated either servant it can be translated as minister and then also it can be translated as deacon and as we've already said we have to look at the context we have to look at the context to determine what we're talking about let's look at a couple of examples of this go to john chapter 2. John chapter two. If you'll remember, this is the first miracle that Jesus performs. John records this; none of the other gospel accounts do. But here we have the the miracle that Jesus performs at the wedding feast in Cana. And we're not going to take time to read all of this this morning. But you'll remember that there was a wedding feast, and they ran out of wine. And so uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, comes to him. He says, "What is that to me? You know, why, why do I care about that?" And of course. Mary tells the servants whatever he says to do. Look in verse 5. It says, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Well, that word servants there, guess what? That is the word diakonos. So are we saying that, that this group of servants, that this is what Paul is referring to in Philippians 1 and verse 1 when he says to the saints, the elders, and the deacons? Well, of course not. It's in context. You have to look at the context to see what we're talking about here. Let's look at a couple more over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Remember, the church at Corinth had a a lot of problems. And one of the things that Paul is dealing with in chapters 1, 2, and 3 is they were so divided as a group of God's people. You remember here in the church of Corinth, some would say, well, I'm of, I'm of Paul. Others would say, well, I'm of, of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas. And then others would say, I'm of Christ. And Paul's trying to get the point, no, that's the wrong way to divide yourselves. Don't be divided. You know, he asks, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? You know, don't follow after us, follow after Christ. But when you look here in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, notice what Paul says here. He says, who then is Paul, then who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Your version there may say servants. I think the New American Standard, ESV, NIV, they all translate that word as servants. You King James and King James says ministers. Well guess what? That's the same word. It's that diaconos. Well, is this what Paul is talking about in Philippians 1 and verse 1? We got to look at the context. Let's look at one more. This one isn't on the outline, but let's go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. You remember in chapter 12, Paul talks about how Christians need to behave. You know, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Act like a Christian. Well, in chapter 13, we see that Paul starts off and says, be subject to the government. You know, that's a whole other lesson in and of itself, is it not? But this idea of being subject to the government. Look at verse 5. This is why Paul says you need to be subject. He says, therefore, you must be subject. I'm sorry, verse 4. For he, this is speaking of the government, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he, who, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Once again, your version may say servant there, but it's once again the same word, it's that diakonos. So here we see four different ways that this word can be used. As just a servant, someone who is who is a slave or someone who serves a master, Ministers, preachers, they're considered servants. Here Paul says the government is considered a servant. And let's look at that fourth one. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is probably the first passage you thought we would read. It's it's one of those things when when you hear a certain topic, you kind of automatically go to a certain passage. You you think about elders, right? Well, that's going to be 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And, of course, we spend a lot of time there. The thing about deacons, well, it's got to be in 1 Timothy 3 because this is where, Lord willing, next week we're going to look at a lot of the qualifications of deacons. But here in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 8, notice Paul, after he has just given us the qualification of elders, he's talked about what elders are supposed to do. He says, likewise, you know, that word in and of itself is important. Just like elders was a special position, it was a special office within the local congregation, he says likewise deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, and we'll go through the, that list of requirements and qualifications later on. But just like elders was a special role and a special assignment within the local congregation, so too are deacons a special office in the local church. Deacons hold a special office of being a servant. That is what a deacon is. One of the passages we always like to look at when we study deacons is in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Let's just go ahead and read verses 1 through 6. We remember this story. The church has, as we might say, exploded in Jerusalem, right? Right? On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were added to the Lord's church. And after Peter preaches about the, uh, at Solomon's porch by the gate called Beautiful, even more people. So the church at Jerusalem has just exploded. And the church in Jerusalem is going through what we might call some growing pains. You know, There's all these people, all these needs, all these things that need to be done. And that's what we see happening here in Acts chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, remember those are Grecian Jews, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the work of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Phyllis, and Proterus, Nicanor, Timon, Pharmanus, and Nicholas. Once again, if you can pronounce those names better, be my guest, but that's the way I'm going to pronounce them. Uh, a proselyte from Antioch. ...whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. This is one of those passages, like I said, we often turn to and we see that deacons are servants who meet a need. Now, I will put another disclaimer in here, and I think this is kind of interesting, because when you study deacons, there are some people who will claim that we should not call these seven men here in Acts chapter 6 deacons. And the reason for that is because, if you'll notice... The word deacon is never used to describe them. The word deacon here in Acts chapter 6 is never used. And so a lot of people, I I won't say a lot, some people will argue, well, we really shouldn't refer to these men as deacons. I don't see how we can escape the conclusion. See what I did there? I don't see how we can escape the conclusion that these men are deacons. And here's why. In verse 3, did you notice how it's, the apostle said, "We will appoint over, we will appoint these men over this business." That word appoint is the same word that Paul uses in Titus chapter 1 when he talks about we need to appoint elders. This is a special office. They were appointed the exact same way that elders were appointed. So this is clearly indicating that these are going to be men in a special position. Did you notice in verse 2 how when the tw- the 12, this, the apostles, they're saying it's not good for us to stop doing our main work. Their main work is to teach and preach the gospel. He says we need to find people, and notice the phrasing in verse 2, to serve tables. Now think back to what the definition of diakonos was. It was an attendant. It was a servant. It literally meant A waiter. So here the apostles are saying, We need someone to serve tables. You know, another way we say that, we need someone to wait on tables. Well, that sounds an awful lot like a deacon. Look at verse five. The whole multitude, this is the this is the church in Jerusalem. They're the ones who chose these men. They were chosen from a local congregation, from a local group of God's people. If these men aren't deacons, if we want to take the stance and say that we cannot call these men deacons because they are never referred to in that capacity, then I would argue, well, okay, well, let's not call them deacons, but they sure do set a good example of what a deacon is to be, do they not? If we want to argue that, yes, we should not call these men deacons, this is not something that I would I would argue with. This is not something that I think is an issue of salvation, But I would say that if someone does not believe we should call these men deacons, I fully believe that it gives us a good example of what to follow. It gives us a great example of what a deacon does. They are servants of the church. They are servants of God. There's a need for them to fulfill. That's what a deacon does. Now, I know we've already kind of got into it a little bit. But for the rest of our time this morning, let's just... Ask ourselves the question, what is the work of a deacon? What does a deacon do? And it's one of those things where each congregation is different, are they not? Each congregation has deacons doing different things, not in an unscriptural sense, I don't want you to think that, but it's based upon the need of the congregation. So, what does, the, what does a deacon do? Well, we've already noted this they're a servant. That is what a deacon is. That is what they do. They serve. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Like I said, we're not going to go through all of the, the qualifications this morning. Lord willing, that will be next week. If you can't be with us, here's a shameless plug. We do have a podcast and we'll upload that sermon. So if you want to listen to it, feel free to search it out. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's just read a couple of these verses. Let's look at verse 10. It says, But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons. That word serve, look at verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons, it is a position of service. Deacons is not necessarily a a title that we look at and say, Whoa, look at me, I'm a deacon. That's not the point of it. A deacon is one who looks for service, looks for things to do. They are workers. They are attendants. They look for needs and when they see the need, they fill it. That is what a deacon does. Now I think it's really important for us to ask one more question here. Who are they serving? Once again, we've already answered this question, but when we look at the denominational world and we look at the religious world, there are so many warped views of how the church is supposed to be organized we talked about it with elders there is no arch bishop there is no arch elder there is no head elder of a congregation no the elders work together and so with deacons i think it helps us to understand who are deacons serving and can i suggest to you this morning that deacons are not understudies of elders Deacons do not serve elders directly. And here's what I mean by that. I understand that elders are overseers of the church. And yes, elders can direct deacons into what they see the need is and what they need to do. But when we look at passages like 1 Peter chapter 5, and we looked at this passage a lot when we studied elders... Peter makes it very clear that elders are not in this position of authority where they have all these people, these underlings, as it were. Because look at what Peter says in chapter 5 and verse 3. He says, elders, you are not lords over those entrusted to you, but you're to be examples to the flock. Sometimes I think in, in a lot of these organizational churches, the way they have it organized, it's almost like, a promotion structure you know you start off as a saint that's the lowest on on the rung right well then if you do a really good job then you're promoted to a deacon okay well then a deacon when they do a really good job well then they get promoted to being an elder that's not what we see in the scriptures and i think that hierarchy that that idea it may work in a business it may work in a corporate sense but that's not the way god wants his church run You know, I love what Jacob said, talking about going to God's word and following its example. You know, we have to be careful sometimes. Elders are, our deacons are not underlings of elders. You know, they're not like the secretary or the assistant to the elders. No, deacons are servants of the local church. That's who deacons are. That's their work. They look for things that the church needs to accomplish. They they look at places where the church needs something. And that's what a deacon does. Don't think of this as as that hierarchical, that, that promotion structure. That's not the way God's church is organized. Deacons do not serve elders. Well, granted, like I said, elders can direct deacons, understand that. But, but deacons don't take their, their marching orders directly. They don't directly report to an elder. That's not the way to think about this. No, deacons report to the church. That is the organization. We've already kind of mentioned this, but once again, don't look at deacons as elders in training. You know, these are, these are sub-elders or, or these are people that... Now, that being said, understand that there is nothing wrong... With a man who is serving as a deacon when he is qualified being appointed an elder. You know, we talked about when we talked about the qualifications of elders that they draw upon their life experiences. I guarantee you that someone who has served as a deacon, they have a lot of experience being a servant. And and that's a good thing. As we said, let's make sure we're not adding qualifications to God's word that aren't there. I've heard brethren before say that, you know, oh, if you want to be an elder, you need to be a deacon first. Where is that found in God's Word? Where, is, where do you see that? Where do you find that you have to serve as a deacon? Okay, if we say that, well, then how long do they have to serve as a deacon? Are we going to put a time frame on it? Well, you must serve as a deacon for at least 10 years, and then if you do a good job, then you'll be in it. No, no. It's based upon the qualifications. Do not add qualifications where God's word does not have them. Deacons, they're important. They're servants. They're doers. They're workers. But here's the interesting thing about it. Do you remember when we talked about the work and the responsibility of an elder? Do you remember the point that we made that, you know, yes, an elder has a special position in these things, but really all Christians need to be doing these things. It's the same thing with a deacon. Is being a servant only limited if you're a deacon? <laughs> only deacons are supposed to be servants. Is that the way we look at this? Well, you know the answer. It's an obvious answer. <laughs> no, of course not. Being a Christian in of itself is to be a servant. Look over in Matthew chapter 20. We're going to read Matthew's account. Luke records, that Mark, and, Mark and Luke both record, I believe, the same story or a very similar story. But if you remember here in Matthew chapter 20, James and John, you know, when you read the, past, when you read the scriptures, you know, you, you have to remember that these are, are men just like you and I. And I gotta tell you, when I read Matthew chapter twenty and I read this story, I look at James and John, and I think a lot of us would call my mama's boy, wouldn't you? <laughs> because what do they do here? James and John get their mama <laughs> to go to Jesus, and, and they they get they ask Jesus like, give us, uh, give me something. And Jesus says in verse twenty one, "What do you wish?" And she says, "Grant that that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left." In your kingdom. Well, down to verse twenty-four, and when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. When we were going through Mark and or Matthew and Mark, you know, we made the point that you know I wonder if a lot of this they were displeased because man, why didn't we think of that? You know, that they beat us to the punch kind of thing. Whatever the reason is, that they're displeased at them. And I want you to start reading verse twenty-five with me. But Jesus called them to himself and said. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. You know, we've made this point before that in, in a corporate, secular world, we've all had bosses like this, haven't we? Have you ever had a manager, a supervisor, somebody? They want to make sure that you know, they know that they're the boss. You know, they rule with an iron fist. We have these all these little idioms that we talk about. That's the way we expect some people to act. I'm the boss. You're the underling. You better remember your place. Jesus says that a servant of his, there's no place for that. Because look at verse 26. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Guess what that word is? Diakonos let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many." Yes, deacons have a special office, a special position of being servants for the local congregation. But all Christians are to be servants. We need to have that servant mindset. One of my favorite stories of Jesus that that illustrate this point. We're not going to take the time to read all of this this morning, but in John chapter 13. You remember this story, don't you? The disciples are there and Jesus gets a bowl of water, gets a towel. He begins to wash their feet. History tells us that washing of feet was the job that the lowest servant received. It was a nasty job. You think about how people got around. They walked. They had sandals. So the idea, they didn't have pavement, so it was all dirt roads. So walking everywhere, think about how nasty feet would get. So the lowest servant, that's whose responsibility it was to wash feet. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Master of all, the Creator of everything, kneels down, and washes his disciples' feet. You know, Peter, I think, reacts the same way that we would react, right? Lord, what are you doing? Why are you washing my feet? Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Of course, what does Peter do? He takes it too far, right? Well, then don't just wash my feet. Wash everything. (laughs) Peter, you're not getting the point. (laughs) Be a servant. Being a servant requires humility. It requires us to humble ourselves. All Christians are supposed to be like that. Be humble. We need to be servants of each other because that's the way a church is supposed to function. Look over in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, Nick last week referenced these verses in some of his sermons. In chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why do we need to be servants? Why do we need to minister so that we can be united, so that we can function as a group of God's people the way that we should? This is a responsibility of all Christians. But can I suggest to you this morning that this is an important thing for a deacon to do. To help the church function. To help fulfill needs. We all need to have that servant mindset. We all need to have that humility. I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 starting in verse 1. Here in this passage, Paul is is wanting the church to be united together, to work together. And he says the only way you can do that is to have that humble servant mindset. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Okay, well, what mind should we have? Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness, there's that humility, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. In verse 5, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Once again, if we want an example of how we're supposed to act, how we need to be servants, how we need to be humble, then look at the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul goes on and talks about what Jesus did. We're not going to take time to read that this morning, but we know what Jesus did. He left the glory of heaven to die on the cross so that we could be saved. He served others. He gave the greatest sacrifice anybody can give. He was a servant. Are we servants? Are we faithful servants? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul, once again, talking about this idea of being a steward. Steward is a fancy word for a servant. Being a servant... He's already talked about in chapter 3. Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? In chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Being a faithful steward, a faithful servant. Are we faithful workers for God, You think about the parable of the talents. The five-talent five talent man, the two-talent man, the one-talent man. Which one describes us? Were we the five-talent man, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter in the joy of your Lord? The two-talent man, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter in the joy of your Lord? Or that one-talent man, you wicked and lazy servant. Which one are we? Are we... Faithful stewards. Take out your songbooks. Turn to the number that Brother Jacob selected. You know, elders are required. You know, that is something that, that a congregation needs to have. In, first, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says, Appoint that thing which is lacking, Elders. I don't believe that deacons are are put in that same category. And what I mean by that is, churches need to work towards having elders, absolutely. You know, deacons aren't a requirement, but they do serve a very important role. They are appointed to oversee, maybe that's the wrong way of putting it, they are appointed to serve where there is a need. Can I suggest to you this morning that there are men, even here at Lacey Springs, that they may not have the official title of deacon, but they're serving the church. They may not have the official title of being a deacon, but they're servants. They make sure that what needs to be done for the church is done. You now, we'll talk about this, Lord willing, next week. Well, why aren't they deacons? because we don't have elders. If there's any question as to what my stance is, there you go. We'll talk about that next week. All Christians are to be servants. We know that. We're to be servants. We're to serve one another. We're to serve God. We are called to be servants. We don't have to have the title of deacon to be a servant. Are we being faithful servants of God? Are we serving God the way that we should? I hope the lesson this morning has been beneficial. I hope it's given us some things to think about, not only in the office of deacon, but also just in our lives to make sure that we are, are being a pleasing servant to God. This lesson has not touched on anything about how to be saved the sermon was geared directly towards us as a local group of God's people it was geared towards those those who are already Christians but this morning if you're here we're gonna offer an invitation an invitation that if you're here and you've never been buried in the waters of baptism an invitation that says see here's water what hinders you from being baptized baptism is the only way to be put into Christ If you're here this morning and and there's something separating you from God, if there's sin in your life that you need to confess, we'll be happy to help. If there's something that's separating you from God, if you're struggling, if if you feel like you're drowning, if there are things that are just trying to shipwreck your faith, we're here to help you with that as well. That's our hope and prayer. After all, at the end of the day, we all want to get to heaven, right? We're all here to help each other do that. This morning, if there's anyone here that's subject to the invitation, will you let us know as we stand and as we sing this song?